this morning. I was up early, as is normal for, especially on Sunday morning, but usually I'm up fairly early. And one of the things that is a reality for those who are on church staff is it's often difficult for us to come on Sundays and worship um, at the level that we can outside of here. Uh, what I mean by that is when I'm here, I'm working and you know, that's just kind of the dynamics of that are such that I know that on Sunday morning especially, uh, it's important that I get up and start the day right, trying to have some time with the Lord and move accordingly. And uh, so this morning I was up and about six o'clock or so, a little bit before that, maybe I decided I'd go outside and just kind of enjoy the morning. It was not, it seems like it wasn't as cold then as it as it is now. And so I walked out and just kind of stood around in the driveway of our house for a little bit, and it was quiet, and it was relatively still, and in the process of that, uh, I had a pretty good time with the Lord, just kind of me and Him, and settling into the day, and real peaceful kind of communion, if you will, with the Lord. And in the midst of that, I heard first the faintest sound And as I listened to it, it got closer and closer. And that was the sound of an ambulance. And it was moving from north to south, coming down 69. Most of you know that, most of you know that I live on Walton Road, just a quarter of a mile or so off of 69. And so, uh, we hear ambulances all the time. But this morning it gripped me that in the midst of my private time with the Lord and that environment that was so conducive to what I was needing at that time, there was this intrusion that occurred that was the sound of a a siren. I listened as it got closer and closer and finally saw it as it went past Walton Road. And as that occurred, it dawned on me that I had been more concerned about my own time with the Lord and that communion time that I had And was totally losing sight of the fact that somebody in that ambulance was having an issue. I want the image to settle in on us. Because the reality is that I've chased enough ambulances as a pastor. Ambulances that contained somebody that I cared about. Enough to need to meet them at the hospital. And I know enough about ambulance rides to know that when somebody's in the back of an ambulance and they're rushing to the hospital like that, then some family's world is being invaded at that time. It's a good picture for us as we come to worship today. I think that it is a pretty good image for us about what life is. We go about our business and we are on the chase, as I started talking about last week. And in that chase, there are those times of intrusion. Moments where reality breaks in and we realize maybe things aren't what they seem most days. Take your Bible and go with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Now, as we come to this, uh, we'll get to the scripture in just a few moments, but I want to just rehearse for you, especially if you weren't here last week, Uh, We started a new sermon series last week out of the book of Ecclesiastes. I'm calling it The Chase because really what we find in the book of Ecclesiastes is the preacher and 
That's kind of who I will refer to on a consistent basis as to the person behind the book of Ecclesiastes. It's for lack of, well, it really is the best interpretation coming down for what Ecclesiastes communicates. It is the preacher, the one who has gathered material and said, okay, I announce it to you. This is my finding. And the finding that the preacher gives to us is captured in the first couple of verses of chapter 1 where he says, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. In other words, nothing makes sense. It's just emptiness. And the preacher that is the book of Ecclesiastes is on this chase to find meaning in life. Where do we find the answers for the questions that drive us in life? He opens the book with a summary It's just meaningless. Now we'll find that as we go on, there are some other things that he has to say to us. He will uncover and unfold before us this search that he's been on, the chase that he is uh, having in his life. Ultimately, we get to the last chapter and we'll find some eternal truths in that. And we find those peppered throughout the entire book. We ended last week, and where we pick up this week, between those two, the preacher says, I looked at wisdom. Well, that's a pretty significant thing, since most scholars believe, or many scholars believe, that Solomon either wrote this himself or was behind the writing of this particular book. The Bible says Solomon is the wisest man who ever lived. We would expect him to look in wisdom to say, here's where we find the basic meaning of life. When we come to chapter 2, he turns the chase a little bit. As a matter of fact, what we find in chapter 2 is, well, I'm afraid that what we find in chapter 2 is that this preacher, not this one me, but this one in this Bible, uh, this preacher has a credibility problem with us. Now, it may not be apparent yet, but I think as we go on further through the course of this sermon, we'll, un- uh, we'll uncover some things in this chapter that help us to kind of step back and go, wait wait, wait a minute now, I'm not so sure that I'm going to be so quick to endorse your position there, preacher. We don't necessarily agree with some of the fundamental things that we find in this text today. Let me give you an example or two uh, before we even read the text. Now he's going to tell us, after he looked in wisdom, he said, and then I went to pleasure. But you see, in the American psyche, if you will, is uh, pretty set on this thing called pleasure. A book was written in 1931. By the way, this comes from a Time Magazine article online that was written back in June of this past year. As the election season began to really take uh, take up wings and fly into that that great interruption into our normal lives, uh, this writer wrote the article that we find in the June 21st online edition of Time Magazine. The writer's name is Jim Meacham. But he's referring back to a book that was written in the 1931 by a guy named James Adams. That was in the height of the Depression. And it was a time when things were uneasy about the American dream. And Meacham in Time Magazine uses what Adams said in 1931 and gives Adams credit as the guy who kind of put meat to this idea of the American dream. Now, it's not original with him. He just popularized what he had to say about it. Here's what he said. This is Adams says relative to the American dream that American dream is of a better 
richer and happier life for all citizens of every rank. Now listen to this. And that is the greatest contribution yet made to the thought and the welfare of the world. Now I'm going to come back to that and say it again because now that we know how much weight he puts on it, maybe we'll listen better to what he said. But only an American who's proud of himself and his country would say what this guy just said. The greatest contribution to the welfare of the world for all of time is the American dream. Really? He says again, that American dream is of a better, richer, and happier life for all citizens of every rank. Where does he get that? I quote from our Declaration of Independence, one of the founding documents to who we are as a nation. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, and that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The chase. The DNA of our nation from its earliest days says it is God's right to us to pursue happiness. We're all on the chase. And the reason I believe as we get into this text today that this writer of this book we call the book of Ecclesiastes has a credibility problem with us is because hands down from the outset he says that chase is empty. Now we're all so caught up in the chase for pleasure this can be hard for us to hear some of this. As a matter of fact, we're going to be so caught up and we're addicted to that chase, by the way, the, the chase for pleasure, that we're going to be likely to hear this and we're going to take it in such a way that we're going to say essentially, nah, I don't think that guy knew what he was talking about. That's a pretty heady claim, by the way, as we refer to a guy named Solomon who was the richest king Israel ever knew. He was the most powerful king Israel ever knew. Uh, wisest man in the world. It's uh, pretty tough for us to say he doesn't know what he's talking about. But I don't want to put those words in your mouth, so let's just see if that doesn't come up as we go. Chapter 2, the book of Ecclesiastes. What we get here as we offer a collective, national, not-so-fast preacher are these words from him. I said in my heart, come now. I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. Now his summary comes after that. But behold, this also was vanity. Now we'll get to the summary part, but let's explore a little bit what he has to say relative to the chase. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Now probably from the outset we need to make sure that we get this idea of pleasure down correctly. It means a lot of things. The Hebrew word that he uses here is one of those terms that is extremely broad in its intent. It goes from just that silliness. You know the kind I'm talking about. It's the kind with the kids in the back of the van or this SUV, and they're just laughing and giggling and stuff. My kids used to do that, and I tell you, if I'd have had a good long stick, I'd have whacked them with it because they're killing me while I'm driving. Silly stuff. This word pleasure starts there in the Hebrew language, but it goes all the way to the other side of the spectrum. 
which is exactly what he intends us to see. He says to himself, I'm going to check out pleasure in its widest expanse. From silliness to that deep, quiet, abiding sense of contentment and joy. The kind you get sitting out on the back porch looking out across the trees behind your house. I'm going to test with pleasure. Maybe we should bring that to America because we're not... Hebrews, and we don't think like the writer of he, uh, the Ecclesiastes necessarily thought in the Hebrew mindset. So let me just pull the word pleasure and let's just drop it right into the middle of the room and explore a little bit about how it impacts us. Do you like to laugh? Oh, wait a minute. I forgot you're Baptist. You can't laugh. It can't be possible. Now, I love to laugh, all right? I, I, I love that ability to just sit back and enjoy a situation. Now that gets me in trouble sometimes, okay? I love good stand-up comedy. All right? The problem with that is it gets me in trouble because when I try to go to a television station that's showing a stand-up comic, comic usually about 15 seconds in he gets so ranked that I don't feel like I'm old enough to watch it. You know what I'm talking about? But you know when you find one who's just funny I love that. I love to get around a bunch of people and just watch them enjoy themselves. Some of the best stuff on YouTube are the little babies laughing. Now, that'll give you something to do this afternoon, all right? Just go to YouTube and do babies laughing. See what you get. Now, that's an innocent kind of just losing it laughing. I love that. That's part of the word here. The Hebrew word here involves that part for us, that part of our lives that we could just sit back and belly laugh to our heart's content. But it goes beyond that. This pleasure is not just that. This pleasure goes to our fascination with sports. Now, you think that I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan. That's because my mother dropped me on my head when I was young, and that's just part of it. I went to church with a guy at one time. Who was a, he was a fan's fan of the Dallas Cowboys. His office, he was a school administrator. Go to the office and everything. He had season tickets to Dallas Cowboy games and he lived where he had to fly to every game. But he went to every game, every home game for years. Super Bowls, the whole nine yards. And you walk into his office and all you could see was Dallas Cowboy stuff. He so loved the Dallas Cowboys when his firstborn son was born, he named him Dallas. True story. We're fascinated with sports. Isn't it ironic that we pay big bucks to go watch an athlete who will make in one year's salary as a pro athlete more than most of us will make in our entire working careers? Why do we do that? Because we derive pleasure out of that. Even if you're a Cowboys fan, there's a certain amount of pleasure in that. That's part of this word. Take it another step. When I was a kid, I remember the first time my parents took me and my brother to Six Flags Over Texas in Arlington. 
And I also remember many times as our family, because we lived in Houston, going to Astroworld. And I hear stories of some, many of our folks through the years, that we, friends that we've known who have gone and taken their children to Disney World or Disneyland or all of those things, those amusement parks part of our existence where we love to go and pay money for the thrill of the moment. I, I love to pay $30 a head to go stand in line for eight hours all day. Why do we do that? And the answer is, we're not, no, no, that's not. The answer is because we derive a certain amount of pleasure by doing those things. It sets off our work lives for us. That's part of this word. The psalm, um, excuse me, the writer of Ecclesiastes, a preacher, says to us, I'll test myself with pleasure, and it involves all these things we're talking about and even more. My daughter turned 23 yesterday. And so i got to tell you this. Birthdays are a big deal in our family. Okay, We've always done that. I suggest to you that you ought to give some thought to birthdays being a big deal in your family. Okay, uh, We go crazy at Christmas as a society. Uh, and people expect gifts and that kind of stuff. But you know, we ought to celebrate the births of those people that we love. We really ought to do that. So birthdays are a big deal for us and our family. And so part of the deal, we've always said to the kids, that we did this as, I'll give you some ideas, parents. As parents, when our kids were really young, uh, we hated doing birthday parties at the house. Um, was anything but a party for us. So we kind of made a deal with our kids. We can take you out to eat and you can take one of your friends with you or we can do a party and that's really all you get. And over a period of time, they decided that going out to eat was better and so that's what we started doing. Well, so... Now, this is going to be a surprise to you, but I need, you need to know your pastor. Been here 18 months now, so here's the truth about me. I like to eat. Uh, like regularly, at least three times a day. And if I'm careful and plan well, I can eat more than three times a day sometimes. Um, but that's just kind of who I am. So when we combine that part of who we all are, we like to eat, with birthday celebration then when it comes time for somebody's birthday, we're going to go out to eat. And I mean, no holds barred. I'll take them even inside Taco Bell, not just the drive-thru. <laughs> so Friday night, Lauren got in from school in Huntsville, and she worked it all day and came in. And so Teresa and Lauren and I went out to eat. And we went in downtown Beaumont to a, a, a rather, you know, not really Taco Bell. Um, their prices are certainly not... Taco Bell. Uh, and we sat there, and it was a nice environment, and we were able to give her a special dinner for her birthday. Fine dining. That's part of this word. Solomon would have related extremely well with that picture. I'll test myself with pleasure. And so the gamut gets wider here. So we get those parts of our lives like sports and those things, but we also get that inner part that we just derive some joy from going to the movies, for instance, or home entertainment systems, for instance. I remember the first time I encountered a true home entertainment system. It was in 1981, if I remember right, Teresa and I, or 80, something like that, and 
Teresa and I had just gotten married, and I was running a lot and decided I was going to run the White Rock Marathon in Dallas. Now, that's 26 miles, point two. Don't ever forget that last quarter of a mile. Um, and in my head, I thought, yeah, that's 26 miles. Well, my body said, that's 26 miles. Are you crazy? Yes. And the angels started to sing. <laughs> For a moment, I thought I was in a black church where, you know, the organist is playing. That's a thought, actually. So, so uh, so we went to this deal, and I ran this race. But after the race, we went to the homes of some friends of ours that I had kind of grown up with in church. They were a couple older than us, and they lived in the Dallas area by that time. We went to their home, and I walked into his living area. It's the first time I'd ever been to the home of somebody that I knew who had a true home entertainment system. And this guy liked good music, as far as I was concerned. And he started playing music, and these speakers just like jumped out and ate you. It was like, wow, this is awesome. And so I said in my mind, I'm going to save money and I'm going to have a home entertainment system like that. That's this picture of this word. I've spent a lot of time on this word, but the reason I'm doing that is because we all need to find ourselves in this word. We love pleasure. Don't you like to just go out into the woods And sit on a deer stand, whether you even see a deer or not, and just be out in God's nature. That's this word. Don't you like to stand on a bank and throw a rod? No, don't throw a rod. (laughs) Cast out into the water and just either just let it sit or just kind of cast. There's just something about pleasure. That's this word. And by the way, it also fits where I started. Sitting on the back porch, drinking a cup of coffee in the morning before the hectic day starts and just drinking in relaxation. That's this word. Now, you understand what I mean when I say this preacher has a credibility problem with us. Because he comes and he's already said to us in the first verse of chapter 2, I tried pleasure and it's empty. And in our minds, we say, not so fast, preacher. I enjoy that part of my life. And Some of you are thinking, I'm not sure I really want Mark to get on with this message at this point. Because we like our pleasures. I think in in essence what we do is we say to this guy, prove it. So let's see what he says. Look again at verse 1. I want to show you a word or two in this. First of all, there is this inner dialogue that we see taking place. I said in my heart, and then he starts talking to himself. Now, in Hebrew wisdom literature, that's one of the ways that they communicate the truth that they're trying to get to. They set it off that way. It's a genre, if you will, of wisdom literature in the Old Testament. And it's a way to cause the audience to sit up and take notice to say, okay, all right, he's about to say something here. But it's in our psychological terms of our day, it's self-talk. Let me tell you, the self-talk that you have is important self-talk. 
Psychologists will tell you that actually the way you talk to yourself reveals a lot about how you see yourself. For instance, many people suffer with a self-esteem problem that goes way back to something that occurred or the way their parents treated them or something like that. And no matter what anybody else says, their self-talk says you're good for nothing. You'll never amount to anything. That's how they see themselves, and that's what they continue to tell, to tell themselves, and that self-talk part of them cripples them emotionally, socially, and otherwise. By the same token, on the other end of that extreme, there are those people who really should tone it down a little bit on the self-talk because what they say is, I'm awesome. Don't you know those people? Matter of fact, I got a few of them. I'll just call you up. Just stand up, if you will. When I, I'm not going to do that to you. Our self-talk is important, especially as it comes to our chase. Because a lot of the time, we use our self-talk to justify our own little chase in life. You know, it's it's the self-talk that you give as you stand there in the sporting goods section of the store, and you say, I need this rod and reel. I mean, after all, I'm going to catch a bunch of fish with this and we won't have to spend so much at the grocery store on meat. That's self-talk. It's powerful stuff. Our self-talk we can use to convince ourselves that our chase is legitimate. So it's a significant tool that the writer uses here. I said in my heart, come now, I'll test you. With pleasure. Let's talk about that word, test. Literally translated, this word means treat or to give an experience to. Now, it's not bad that we find it translated as test here. That does capture the basic chase that he's describing for us. But the word itself is significant in its literal translation. I will treat you to pleasure. Now there's an American statement if I ever heard one. I will treat you, I'm going to give you the experience that is pleasure. All of this part of this arena of life that we call pleasure, I'm going to go there and I'm going to go there with both feet. I'm jumping in all the way. I'm going to go after pleasure. Significant because he's already gone after wisdom. He says that left him empty. And so now he says, let's try pleasure. And all of those things that I just walked through and took a big portion of this message to walk through the different kinds of pleasure, the way we would say this verse is, okay, in those areas of life, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to experience it all. I want the good life. And so I'm going to go there with gusto. And by the way, in this particular case, Solomon's case, He goes there. He experiences this on a big scale. Look with me at verses 3 through 10 where we find some explanation of what he means by this. And we're just going to read through this. I may make a comment or two as we go. But what I want you to get especially is that what he says here, you can go to the book of, I think it's 1 Kings, look at Solomon's life in those historical books and you find this recounting of all of the projects of his life and the things that he accomplished. Verse 3 and following says this. 
By the way, I know I'm skipping verse 2. We'll get back to it. He says, I search with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. My, now, this parenthetically, my heart was still guiding me with wisdom while I tested wine. Um, in other words, he doesn't want you to think he's a lush. My heart still guiding me with wisdom and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their lives. I made great works. He talks about, by the way, this is his professional life, his building life. I made great works. I built houses and I planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which water to, uh, from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women. By the way, his own personal choir. You see, this was in the days before XM radio or local radio. And so he gathers for himself his own personal choir And I'm sure in the mornings he probably directed them, sing something that's up because I haven't had my coffee yet and I need to get going. At night, do a little smooth jazz for me so that I can nod off to sleep. My own personal choir. He loved pleasure, this guy. But what I want you to see here, and I haven't read the rest of this and I want to get to this so that we get it. One of the things that happens in our own chase when pleasure is the goal is we invariably use people. Did you see what I read already? I got for myself slaves. It's not just slaves. He said, I had enough slaves that over a period of time, I had slaves born to me, so I didn't just have to buy them. I was so successful, I had my own people that I owned. Oh, always our chase left to itself uses people. And so the last statement here helps us see that another step when it says, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. You know what that is? That is a nice, polite way of saying, I explored freely in the world of sex. For him, pleasure was a pretty big deal and very expansive in its scope. And he comes to the end of it and he says, it just didn't do it for me. Used to be a television program. Well, there is a television program. It used to be a character on this program called Debbie Downer. You familiar with that? This is the person in your circle of friends who no matter what's going on, brings in something that brings the discussion down to the pits. You can be talking about how wonderful the weather is outside. I just love it. And they're going to say, well, I got hay fever and it just really eats me up. That kind of person. Debbie Downer. And I got to tell you, to this point in this passage, I'm thinking, come on, preacher. You're Debbie Downer. Surely there's more to life than just whining about everything that you tried that didn't work. Something else I want you to see very quickly here. Verse 3. It's a useful image for us. 
Did you catch that? I kind of even stopped on it a little bit when I was reading through it. And I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. I stop here. It's the last main thing of what I want to get across to you today. Well, what other? The reason I stop here is because I believe that he's making a statement here that is tied to wine especially. Um, but that is because wine for them represented, represented the good life. Uh, but there's more to it than just that. This is a Hebrew word, that's uh, a phrase that's easy to tr- translate, but it's hard to interpret. And so we find scholars on lots of different sides as about how we should take it. But here is a literal translation of what he says. I went about in my heart to draw my flesh with the cords of wine, C-O-R-D-S. Maybe the best way for us to picture that is a dog on a leash. The cord that we're talking about is the leash. And so he says with this, I went about in my heart to draw my flesh, that is to be led by wine. The picture for us, and he stops in the middle of that to say, now wait a minute, don't freak out. I didn't lose my wisdom about me. In other words, this is an experiment. I wish I'd have used that, ex- that excuse with my parents when I was doing that, but I didn't. Um, I was led like a dog on a leash by wine. He's talking about getting wasted. And the picture of him is being inebriated and testing that to see if that's not the secret to meaning and happiness in life. That's the uh, what was once called YOLO. You only live once. So reach out and get all of the gusto you can get. And if you get wasted in the process, well, maybe that's the secret. Well, it's not. We know that for a lot of reasons. Here's the picture that I think that he gives us in the midst of that. We Pile treasure upon treasure upon treasure in order to get pleasure. And we tell ourselves that's so that we can have the good life. I have a friend, he buys anything he wants. That's how much money he makes, I guess. And I've seen him as he's gone through things and Pretty quickly after he gets his things and works with them for a while, he's on to a new thing. He's being led by things. By the way, you want a good picture of this, go to southeasttexas.com and see how many other people are being led by things that suddenly don't carry the meaning that they used to for them, so they're going to sell them and get something else. The picture for me here is of a dog chasing its tail. That communicate? You understand? When you ever seen a dog do that? Sooner or later, that dog chases it. Maybe mine are just the only retarded dogs around. You act like you've never seen that. Sooner or later, you forget. Is the dog chasing the tail or is the tail leading the dog? Is the head first or is the tail first? What's what? Let me tell you, that's us. Running in circles, chasing our tails, trying to find pleasure. 
So Debbie Downer has struck again in the book of Ecclesiastes. I want to leave you with good news. I've missed several things in here that I would like to talk about this morning, but let me take you to verse 24. He says this, There's nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. Let me stop there. You know what he's saying with that? If you just stop there and you don't read the rest of it, then you think that his pleasure search has paid off for him. He doesn't stop there, but the value for us is to see all that stuff that I talked about earlier, in and of themselves, there's nothing wrong with those things. You want to go to the amusement park? Take your kids and go. You want to go sit on a deer stand? By all means, please do. Find God while you're out there, but go do it. Like fine dining? Knock yourself out. As long as your goal is not just that. Now I'll finish what he said. There's nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. In other words, you can't enjoy that stuff unless you got God in the right place in your life. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after the wind. It's not just a Debbie Downer kind of passage of scripture. In the end, he says, all of this search for pleasure brought me to this truth. If God's not in it, it's empty. But when God is in it, that's a different story. Nobody should enjoy life like a Christian does. Why then are so many Christians so miserable? Why is it that historic traditional Baptists seem to carry the persona of having been baptized in pickle juice? Just bitter people. What are you chasing? Let's pray. Now, as we go to pray, I want to give you the whole thrust of the invitation. Every one of us is chasing something. If God is not the goal of your life, a deeper walk with him, to know him, to have the life that he gives to you, if he's not the goal of your chase, then my invitation to you today is to make him so. Now, for some of us, that means we need to take a first step towards a relationship with him. He's done everything you need to have a relationship with him, but he will not force it on you. You have to believe. You have to step out in faith and say, I believe. I trust Jesus. Make me your child. Forgive me of my sin. I come not in my own strength, but because of what you've done for me. And if you've not done that, if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, that's where your chase needs to end, is at the foot of the cross. Many of us have taken care of that part of our lives, but we just throw stuff in between us and the cross. And our whole chase in life is after pleasure in any of the ways we've talked about it today. Where's God in that?
How's it working out for you? Why don't you come home today? And so, Father, we ask that you would do your work in the hearts of your people even now. In Jesus' name, amen.